All right, Aaron, we got a we got a special one today. You know, the guys from Film History, the History of Film podcast are joining us. Oh, hey, they're here. There's so many of them. Why are they all here? Some kind of instinct, a memory, what they used to do. Podcasting was an important part of their lives. Can we handle all three of them? We've got this, man. We've got this by the ass. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my cowardly co-host, Derek. What up, losers? In which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. Guess what, y'all? It's still Dead Boy Summer getting hot out there. Dead Boy Summer. Brains. 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 Summer. <laughs> like we have explained in the last couple episodes, if you losers haven't been listening, we are going to be covering. I like how confrontational we're being with our listeners. Oh, all dozen yes. of them right now. I think a lot of it is just like all five of us are in this room and we're all just ready to fucking and, go. And we still haven't introduced the other three. We're, just... we're getting there. We're getting oh, there. Boys. You don't need to show off for us. <laughs> we're going to be covering all three of the original Romero zombie movies. Obviously, this is the Dawn of the Dead episode. To join us on this historic episode, we've got the guys from Film History, The History of film to join us in this discussion what's up guys hey Hi. dead boy summer <laughs> dead boy Five summer dude. talking about guys and butts yeah and all kinds of fun stuff i love it do you mind if we <laughs> do yeah. our little film history intro on here right now hell yeah oh yeah okay. hell yeah i'll do film history and all together we'll do history of film film history the, the history, history of film. film. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you for having us, by the way. Uh, thank, thank you for y'all. coming on. Absolutely. For our listeners, you need to, like, especially if you have any interest in film in general and want to hear some, like, insane stories behind random franchises and, like, the Hollywood sign and murders in Hollywood and just crazy Hollywood shit, you need to listen to their podcast. For our listeners, what's a good, like, synopsis for them to, like, you know, do you have any recommendations on episodes to start off with? Should they just start at the beginning? I do recommend starting at the beginning. The Cagney episodes is a three-parter that begins all of it. And, uh, that was really where the show took off. We kind of had this idea like no one really even knows about James Cagney and they should, you know, just as much as they do yeah. Jimmy Stewart and Humphrey Bogart and all those guys. And then you start to dip into like who he was and he was on vaudeville. So it goes even further back. And then there were movies that he's filming where like live ammo is being fired at him on set because it's the 1930s, <laughs> you know, it's just these stories that you would never believe the film industry 
country definitely got started in this real Wild West type of way, you know. And it's funny you bring that up. My wife and I randomly, right before our daughter was born, we watched Singing in the Rain, like 1952 musical comedy movie, Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly. Or But like the thing about it is in the beginning, they get their start by being stunt people like in early Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it's just them like, all right, stunt person, drive this plane and like <laughs> crash it into the ground now. Yeah. And they were just treating it as like gags them barely escaping death but like apparently that was fucking hollywood back in the day like i don't know what the mortality rate of stunt people were we say back in the day but uh something we're going to discuss on this episode is how that shit (laughs) still was going all the way into the 70s (laughs) (laughs) they were just actually eating each other your safety is relative to your budget (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. ask tom savini all about that one oh my god you can't violate safety codes if you can't afford a safety coordinator you know exactly so who's to say what you're doing yeah wrong? you couldn't violate safety codes back in the day if they don't exist you know so. i mean i should rephrase that about the budgets because as we talked about in our water world episode the giant budget still managed to like nearly kill several people Kevin yeah listen to water world that's our other go listen to it whenever we tell people to listen to the show go listen to water world for sure that's our favorite yeah. I would be curious to hear you guys dive deep into Mad Max Fury Road specifically. Ooh. I know like the production of that was also nuts. They did pretty much everything practically. So they were crashing shit all over Yo. the place. Oh, so shit. I would be interested to hear both the good and the bad of that production because it seems like it was a fucking nightmare in many aspects. Yo, yeah. yeah, I mean, all the Ma- all the Mad Max is probably... I know they destroyed some cameras. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have y'all on for that. We're down. Oh, uh, hell yeah. yeah. I- I'm totally down. But uh, ironically enough, you guys guys probably maybe a month or two before we did put out a two-parter on cannibal holocaust oh, wow. which is cool and i like yeah. how part one was don't ask where the money came from because that was like a big part of yep. our episode was like learning where all where'd all this money to do this like <laughs> fucked up movie come came from you don't and, ask you, know, you don't ask yeah. to keep it straight for our listeners <laughs> yeah. and everyone since there's five of us Film history, the history of film is made up of Drake, James, and Devin. So once again, thank you guys for coming on. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you guys. Happy to be here. The honor and pleasure is ours. This is the first guest spot that all three of us have appeared on. So this is the first like official film history is take is this guy's getting a guest appearance. It feels like when a bunch of like friends from different groups come together, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like at school. When your family comes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, when your family comes to school it that way. and it's like, these are my friends, but also like my cousin is here for some reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I really do appreciate your more recent run of episodes. Like you did a four part on Humphrey Bogart. A month of Bogart. Bogey. A lot of your episodes are over an hour long. So they're they're packed with information and just crazy stories that a uh, dude, I, I've heard the name, but I couldn't tell you a goddamn thing about James Cagney so I'm glad that like you guys start off with that because yeah. I haven't gone back and listened to your first episode so I'm going to start there and learn everything I need to about that person. Cagney's that great. Tap door, seller, tap door, dancing, <laughs> vaudeville acting, yeah. child boxer, machine gun dodging actor who started sex. Yeah. Yep. That's a plus yeah. 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 He was also a tiny man. How dare you? <laughs> uh, we did the Warner Brothers studio tour while we were on vacation and they had some of his suits there and I was oh, looking no at them and I'm like, 
that's like a suit for a 13 year old. <laughs> he was, he was just definitely a tiny man. He was a little but then it cracked dancing. me up because we got around the corner and they had Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman's costumes from Casablanca. And I was thinking in my head, that ain't fucking real. That's not the real costume. Those shoes don't have fucking four inch lifts in them yeah. because Ingrid Bergman was taller than Humphrey Bogart. Oh yeah. Way so taller. yeah, there was some interesting stuff on that tour for sure. Yeah. So yeah, cool. Let's go ahead and kind of get started real quick. Normally we do like a section for recommendations. It's a little more like wide open, everything, everybody. We're going to kind of narrow that down a little bit since we got so many people on today and we got a pretty good conversation ahead of us, but Drake did mention that there was something he wanted to discuss. So Drake, what have you got yes i've been in a horror mood recently because uh around this time in video games the summertime there used to be this thing called e3 covid kind of killed e3 yeah but a lot of these companies still do their announcements around this time yeah capcom recently announced the remake of resident evil 4 oh buddy am i hype <laughs> what i'm even more excited about than the resident evil 4 remake is that resident evil 8 is coming to playstation vr 2 and so oh, my recommendation wolf. is if you have not done this find a way to go play resident evil 7 in vr i know it's not like a recent thing but like i feel like a lot of people did not experience that game that way uh or maybe not have tried vr at all and playing resident evil 7 from start to finish in vr is one of my favorite video game experiences period bar none like it is so immersive it is so enthralling and like Resident Evil 8 came out last year and I straight up said I will never play this game unless it gets a VR port it's getting a VR port it's coming out in like the winter time when the PSVR 2 drops but in the meantime track down a PSVR track down a PlayStation 4 play through Resident Evil 7 in VR if that whole experience costs you $500 it's worth it I guarantee it like I, <laughs> I promise you it is the greatest video game experience you'll ever have play Resident Evil 7 in VR and I love that they're putting out VR 2 it's going to be higher quality than VR and then they're putting out Resident Evil 8 on it mm-hmm. they're also putting in a patch where you can play the whole game in third person <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Resident Evil 4 right. that yeah, was the I... thing about 7 <laughs> and 8 kind of reinventing the franchise because it borrowed a lot from PT playable trailer look up the history of PT for some crazy video game mm-hmm. horror lore but I, I got it on my PS4 and I'm never getting rid of my PS4 Same. yeah but, no yeah it's, at one point yeah. PS4 load of PT was worth 3 grand and yeah. i was like not enough yeah you couldn't pay me Jeez enough them. to get rid of this thing dude it pt is to this day one of the scariest wow. horror game experiences yeah. i've ever had has nobody figured out a way to crack that or rip it off or anything like is it still just not yet not as far as on i know your, your hard disk you have it so i think the reason that pt was so scary was because it wasn't really clear what triggered the witch woman i don't even remember her name anymore she had lisa it, it was so unclear lisa, what triggered yeah, yeah. lisa to come and like attack you whereas i feel like i kind of lose a sense of horror in in a lot of games once i realize how to avoid the danger you know what i mean like because it's a game it's coded there's usually pretty clear signs it's like okay you can play all the scary noises in this room that you want i know nothing will attack me in this room like i it's the game's not coded that way but pt generated a situation where you never felt safe but you also never felt like it was bs either like i i don't really like the nemesis system because i don't like constantly feeling like i'm on the clock to like move out of this room before I get attacked, but there was this nice middle ground to PT that it, you never felt safe, but you also felt like you could still take your time in areas, which I really appreciated. 
So speaking of have they ripped PT yet from PS4, I'm sure it'll come eventually because people have gotten into the code of the game and someone got in there and messed with the camera and like was able to move the camera oh, around yeah, freely. Right. And they found that Lisa was always behind the player until she like manifested in front of them or attacked oh, them. Oh, that's so much. That's so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa was always three feet behind the player just following them unless something triggered. Oh her, my like, God, that's attacking. terrifying. I, yeah. I believe play PT every year around the Halloween time and like I'm never going to be able to replay yeah. the same way now knowing yeah. that she's right behind me she's always behind you yeah oh, um, she's so clingy that lisa she's just <laughs> like, leave me alone <laughs> among all those announcements i was really hyped for the resident evil 4 remake because resident evil franchise even the bad ones are always near and dear to my heart because mm-hmm. resident evil 3 the original ps1 resident evil 3 nemesis is probably the reason why i got into horror games to begin with then Resident Evil 4 is like top five all time video game for me. Played it and replayed it multiple times. I played the PS2 port specifically, Mm -hmm. um, but it's been ported to fucking everything now. It's on everything. You can play it on a toaster. The toaster is high tech enough, you know, like I said. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the new TV series coming out? So my wife and I actually watched the trailer for it last night. So I have never played a Resident Evil game at all until 7-8. I know vaguely of the campy shit from the early games. I've seen a few of the movies here and there, but never sat and watched all of them. They just never were my bag. The show actually looks really stupid campy fun. And the movie that just came out this past year looks a little too try hard. So I'm very curious to see what this Netflix show is going to be. I just saw a guy from The Wire, Lance Reddick, just screaming maniacally at the ceiling and just wiping blood all over his face. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'm, I'm fucking yeah. down with whatever this is going to be. But James, you were mentioning you were a Silent Hill boy. Oh, yeah, man. It was Dead Boy Summer all day for me in Silent Hill. <laughs> yeah, sure. I played a lot of two and three specifically for Silent Hill. Yeah. But yeah, for some reason, I just I got hooked on Resident Evil more than Silent Hill. I think Captain Capcom has treated Resident Evil a little bit better than Konami has treated Silent Hill. But, yeah, you know, that's all. Yeah, no doubt. Silent Hill 2 is in desperate need of a ground up remake. 4, I'm excited for the remake of 4, Big but time. if you want to go back and play 4 on the PS2, it is just as playable now as it was then. Yeah. Silent Hill 2 is aged like dog water. It is abysmal dog to play water. right now. Like, yeah. It's just a victim of the era it came out when. I love aged dog water, Drake. How dare you? I like to, <laughs> I like to keep mine in a barrel and let it age over time. Yeah. Dog water. <laughs> My weird like horror ass when it comes to video games I find tank controls and all that kind of endearing so like when the games come out that are homage to like old school survival horror I'm like yeah I'll play it (laughs) even if the controls are literally like the worst I can't do it I can't do bear controls I've never finished Resident Evil 1 there's no version of that game I find playable even the GameCube remake (laughs) was tank controls yeah exactly like I want to remake the way that they've been doing but for the first one there's already a remake of one I need to re-remake one I really really think after four they will do that for one yeah that's my thing i think they'll continue with the franchise yeah. like they'll still do nine whatever but i think on the side they'll remake one yeah. next because honestly i don't see them remaking or touching five or six because those are oh boy those, 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 well, the... i mean a code veronica desperately needs a remake code veronica is good yeah but so here's the thing five is like a three out of ten if you play it alone if you play it co-op it is a nine out of ten it is such a, it's yeah like, it's a lot better co-op i think it's the best co-op game i've ever played to be honest like it's it's incredible co-op yeah. so i would love a remake of five where they make the single player version a playable product but you know just all you need to do is just tweak sheva's ai and make it so she can't die like it's it, it wouldn't be too too drastic but we'll see and then six was just gonzo nonsense like <laughs> three or four different campaigns
campaigns in one and no like bosses there. were just bullet sponges <laughs> that keep appearing the whole game over and over and over and over again there was no fucking horror to it yeah yeah six is a disaster but seven was great yeah. so i can't complain <laughs> but yeah james devin do you guys have anything that you want to shout out or hmm. horror wise i mean i was thinking on the uh resident evil new ip you know all the new stuff coming out for that so i mean you know also a good topic to bring up yeah, yeah. oh well speaking of the resident evil show something fascinating about it is because i watched the trailers to the netflix show and like this doesn't look anything like resident evil but i'll watch it come to find out it is set in the game's canon really so the show is canon to the games now the games are going to ignore the show like nothing that happens to the show is going to affect the games but as far as the show's lore is concerned it is set within the canon of the games hmm. which makes me way more interested in the show but i like do not know where the fuck this is supposed to fit in huh. <laughs> yeah i mean if it does actually get picked up for more seasons i wonder if they will like eventually bring in the villain of eight because the villain of eight is very much tied into like the beginning of the umbrella corporation Ooh, cool no spoilers though because nice. i haven't played eight yet but okay <laughs> oh fuck i'm sorry no, i mean that's that's vague enough to make me interested but not spoil it so i'm yeah. fascinated yeah. i have a murder movie that you all will be able to watch in the next year or so but the movie reefer madness the propaganda film was based yes. on a real crime in 1933 and i got a whole movie about it so it's gonna be a lot of blood and fun stuff with murderers with an axe hell yeah, hell yeah. fuck yeah can you like say anything else about it now or or is it yeah. still kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, i mean i've had like some press articles and stuff written about it. it's called madness and is my movie a 20 year old kid named victor Licata went crazy and murdered his whole family in the middle of the night with an axe and the police came the next day and they found a joint roach at the scene of the crime so they blamed the whole thing on weed so harry anslinger found out about that and used it as his like platform to go around the country and say don't let your kid smoke weed or they're going to end up like victor licata the devil's lettuce yeah this murder occurred in tampa and I'm from Tampa, so it was in my backyard. So I found out about it and was like, holy crap, are you kidding me? No one's told this story. So we examined the whole murder and the events surrounding it. And like his family was involved with bootlegging and prohibition and the Italian mafia here in town. So it's a really, really cool, crazy story that has one of those things where it started for just this little history fact and then unfurled into like this whole big, you know, story arc line that affects everybody on the national scale. So it's really cool. It's called madness hell yeah abracadabra films <laughs> just google that <laughs> i'll plug uh our film history uh halloween specials yeah go for it <laughs> we did uh the aforementioned um hollywood murders right. 10 unsolved hollywood murders uh really interesting episode very different we did a uh i think it was like a two-parter on rod sterling yeah twilight zone and all that rod sterling was really yeah, cool. yeah. we did cursed films oh cursed yeah films. so we did like the omen the exorcist like it's a film that had tragedies happen around them or on sets. Poltergeist, you know, it was a classic. So those were really cool yeah. because you find out just how unlucky. It made me like be hesitant to go work on this movie about this murder because we're filming in the house where the murder actually took place. Yeah. The house still stands. That's creepy. So I'm like terrified of axe is going to fall from the ceiling and hit me in the head or some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's creepy. Oh, one more plug. Host of Scary to Sleep, Shelby Scott. She will be doing a panel at a Midsummer Screen out here in LA. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was telling us about that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and uh, shout out to Shelby, your wife. Yeah. She is the one who kind of set this up for us too yeah. with like, getting you guys on. So She just signed with uh, Bloody Disgusting Network. She's out here. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Aaron, we can go ahead and move on to the main event <laughs> of what we're discussing today. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to just jump right in. So uh, without further ado, let's discuss George Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Yeah. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room! Not that room! Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn. Of the dead. Meet me on the roof at nine o'clock. Get yeah. out. I don't believe We're it. We're gonna what? get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shooting man. Now, accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center, one of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. We've got a war. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. They must be destroyed on sight. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the Dead. So whenever we have guests on, we like to kind of open the floor with them. Do you guys have any kind of prior history with Dawn of the Dead? Or is this a first time viewing for any of you? What do you think of the film? Like kind of going on, even the idea of you behind your show, George Romero has a crazy kind of history in the horror genre. What's like an opening statement, I guess, like that you kind of want to throw out there? Well, I got to take what's going to be different than these other two guys. Yeah. So I yeah. had never seen this version. I'd only seen Zack Snyder's. Okay. Same here, actually. I watched it for the first time this morning, or at least I tried to. I couldn't get more than halfway through it. I wasn't into it at all. Oh, man. It came off like a student film. It was boring as fuck. I didn't like the characters. This movie crawled so Zack Snyder could take the baton and run with it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I like the Zack Snyder version better. But also, I'm a massive Zack Snyder fan. I think he's great. So like, you know, I, I don't know, but I'm also, so this is the thing, like your audience is probably going to hate me. Uh, but um, It's all right. All good stories need a heal, brother. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. It's kind of like the dynamic on our show though, is like, I haven't seen most, my background is more like in video games and stuff. So I'm kind of coming in cold to a lot of these uh, whenever we do an episode and just half the time I haven't seen the movie or like, I'm not familiar with it. And like, I pretty much like, I like stuff that's very old while it was still black and white or very new. Anything in the seventies and eighties doesn't really speak to me generally. So it didn't really surprise 
surprise me that I didn't really like this movie. But yeah, I mean, there's aspects of it I, I enjoyed. But like, again, it, so we're talking about remakes earlier, like remaking Resident Evil set. Like, you know, this is the original Resident Evil 2 versus the new Resident Evil 2. It's like, I like the remake better, you know? To me, it's just polished up more, better. It just took all those advancements and stuff, ran with it. But uh, so I won't I won't leave you hanging. So like before James and Devin <laughs> and Aaron, we, we like dress you guys. I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate with you. I actually had to watch this twice because I loved Night of the Living Dead. I love it. It's an amazing movie. I've always heard that this is like as far as Romero movies go and zombie movies in general is the fan favorite. It's the one that people say is, oh, well, Night of the Living Dead is the most important one, but Dawn of the Dead is my favorite. So I was like, I'm going to love this. I love the concept. I love the idea of zombies in a mall. Like, I mean, we saw that in Dead Rising came out from Capcom going on the video games. I dug all of that. I actually like the late 70s 80s aesthetic i'm used to that on board first time i watched through this i was like huh that's it i thought i was gonna get eviscerated by all y'all i know aaron loves this movie i know most horror fans really love this movie but here's the catch because like you going into this i'd only seen the Zack snyder remake i am the exact opposite of you i fucking do not understand Zack snyder (laughs) i understand how and why he has fans but for me on a personal level he does not fucking work whatsoever (laughs) so so like i also kind of hate his remake of this movie too but we're coming at it with the second vanity the second viewing was a lot more positive for me on this movie like i rewatched it earlier this week i dug it a lot more it clicked for me a lot more i finally like felt like i was understanding like why people constantly come back to it i still think the movie is trying to both be super serious and comedic at the same time in a way that it needed to commit to one or the other and most of that is really the zombie design so i don't know like when we get into production of aaron yeah i've got some stuff on yeah that. if it was a budgetary thing or what but it did click for me a lot more the second go around, but we can get into that in a, in a bit. But uh, going on to our other two guests, how did you guys feel? Like, what are your thoughts with this movie? Although I do tend to agree with you on Zack Snyder, I liked all the practical effects for this movie. So like, I'm a how did it get made kind of nerd. And when I see something on screen, I go damn, that's awesome. I want to reverse engineer that and figure out how they did it. Aaron is the same way. Yeah, yeah Aaron is the same way. So, same. I mean, I had seen this movie before, but when I rewatched it, it's like I get the appreciation for how difficult some of these practical effects were. Like a head exploding, like getting sawed off with helicopter blades. Like, I mean, one of the first things you see when the zombies are coming is like a bite into human flesh and ripping it out with blood coming. That kind of stuff on screen in the 70s, I think I appreciate it because of, I don't know, like it's something that audiences hadn't really seen in mainstream before. Sure. So I like that aspect of it a lot. And I thought, you know, I'm a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead. So I really like going back and to be like, yo, these zombies suck and they're hilarious. <laughs> Out of all the zombie apocalypse types, I want these zombies. These are slow moving. Oh, yeah. They're chilling. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. fact that any of them died was like, are you fucking complete noobs <laughs> that are just like not aware of your surroundings? And that brings one of the reasons why I loved this movie so much and I, I definitely piggyback off of Dev what he was saying I was so impressed by some of the things I was seeing on screen in this 70s movie there was this shot where he's shooting up at the second floor you know at the at the cop and they get this shot in frame of him pulling the trigger and like dust in the back and it was just they really were like making the, the hell out of this movie but also I love that these zombies are so dumb that at some points 
people are like having a good time. It's not Zack Snyder Bro, sad. Yeah, those yeah. are actors. <laughs> yeah, those aren't CGI. Somebody had to sit there and go. Absolutely, and like move fucking really slow and be silly. And to that point, the thing I do like about the George Romero is that each zombie—it's like a wrestler. It's its own gimmick. You had the Hari Krishna zombie yeah. who really looked a lot like fucking Maynard James Keenan from Tool. By the way, <laughs> really, that like the whole time I'm like, that's just Maynard. I had to like look up what year he was born in and made sure he didn't do like any acting yeah. in the 70s but yeah I do appreciate that that's where a lot of the comedic elements to me kind of come in are the zombies themselves that was the thing I love the Zack Snyder one as well but the Zack Snyder one made you want to fucking like take a warm bath with a toaster you know like this <laughs> one was like fucking hilarious in my opinion yeah you know? I think there for me there was a little bit of them balance between like kind of the goofiness of the setting and the zombies and then like the actual like situation that the characters were in and how they were reacting to it. Yeah, it felt very tonally inconsistent throughout a lot of it, which that stuff really bothers me. Yeah, I agree with you, Drake. And like, we just came off of Return of the Living Dead, which was a fucking blast, goofy as fuck zombie movie. And like, I feel like Dawn of the Dead could have used some of the energy from Return of the Living Dead with that being like a punk rock comedy movie. But yeah, Return of the Living Dead's rad. I do get it. Like I do like this concept of zombies in a shopping center. Great. Love it. A lot of the commentary George Romero was going with at the time is still very relevant today as we're constantly finding over and over again. It shouldn't be but it still is that was one of the weirdest parts man it was like this is just today yeah Yeah. you know they shot this during the holiday season overnight at that mall so that mall was open to the public during the day and they went in uh, (laughs) and they started shooting at 11 p.m and when the music came on and the lights came on at seven they were like all right shit we gotta pack it up and get out of here you know it's like christmas time mop (laughs) up all the fake blood off the floor and people are gonna slip (laughs) i kept imagining they had no permit in there no one knew they were in there they just came the next day i was like what the fuck happened in the mall (laughs) (laughs) someone get that fucking mannequin out of the fountain that i saw i love how that one zombie was like fuck you mannequin and threw it over into the water yeah they just walk in one day like wait what the fuck how is the volkswagen crashed through the front of the storefront who didn't put the brakes on Uh, to that point i i hope tom savini actually led a biker gang like into the fucking uh so they did (laughs) and um wait really yeah more on that in a second yeah so interesting hearing all of y'all's takes on this because it's a good cross-section of kind of how people have basically always felt about this and i think it's interesting too because depending on which version of the movie that you're watching which we didn't tell y'all a specific version to watch and we kind of did that on purpose because i wanted to see what everybody's takes were depending on which version they sourced right that's always been kind of one of the inconsistent things about this movie is there have always been different cuts Mm -hmm. from day one there were different versions of the movie so people's opinions have always been shaped by which version did you watch first Mm -hmm. i think part of it too that i appreciate to kind of echo some of the things that you guys have already said i appreciate the really lo-fi handmade feel of this movie yeah i dig that a lot this is still romero at his very 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 like I am going to be indie as fuck. I do not want to be part of the studio system. I do not want to deal with Hollywood. I want to still maintain any shred of creativity and like independence that I possibly can, even if it means really having to scrape to get the thing together. So is that why all the zombies look amateur as fuck? 
look. I mean, that's part of it. But overall, the thing that I still appreciate, too, as much as I like personally David Lynch, for instance, and Derek and I both love David Lynch. He is also one of those directors that will not tell you anything about what his movies are supposed to be about. Right. Mm, If you ask him, hey, what is Mulholland Drive about? He's going to be like, let me tell you about this cool place I found where I've got some really good pie and coffee. (laughs) Right. Like, just he doesn't care. (laughs) He's purposely a pain in the ass about it. Yeah. Yeah. Romero has always been very straightforward about this is what this movie is about. This is what I wanted to deliver. This is the message in the movie. This is kind of what I was going for. He's never tried to obfuscate. Yeah, I mean, when you when you have multiple shots of zombies literally just shuffling around a mall, yeah. brain dead, yeah. basically, that it, it's right there on the screen for you, yeah. what he's trying to tell you. So I appreciate yeah. that at least all of his zombie movies, every time he makes one and kind of gets drug back to that subgenre every single time, he at least is coming in with something to say and a different thing to kind of change up the idea and a new concept. Because he could have just as easily done another people in a fucking old house out in the farm besieged by zombies kind of thing like the first movie. This is kind of obviously taking it up to the next level. So it's a difference in what he's actually going for from a story standpoint. The tone is certainly different from Night of the Living Dead, but it's also fun. It's still kind of ridiculous in that handmade y'all really put all your fucking pennies together and the fucking neighborhood crew got together and made this movie. Yeah. And that's something I've always appreciated is everybody that grows up in the Pittsburgh area, one of their goals in life is to be a zombie in a Romero movie. That's just how it was for the longest time. Everybody knew about him. He was kind of the local dude making movies and everybody wanted to be a part of it. So you can kind of feel that energy throughout it, despite the fact that you can obviously see the makeup line on everybody's neck <laughs> and the fucking 3M stage blood looks orange as hell because of the film stock that they were using, right? And everybody looked blue. Yeah, exactly. The zombies, depending on what lighting they're in, are either going to be gray, blue, or like kind of green, but there's no consistency (laughs) there. So to give y'all a little bit of context first, we started this whole summer series with the original Night of the Living Dead from 1968. That was a very... Again, indie as hell, very low budget, but it went on to be massively successful. By the way, you guys should add that to your list of maybe future episode ideas. Uh, we we kind of just touched the surface of the history behind that and the production, but it was very DIY. It was very super indie. Yeah. It'd be fascinating to hear a deep dive on it. Yeah. It's a very interesting case study looking at race in movies, the history of copyright and ratings, the history of indie film. I mean, it's, it's a good case study for a lot of very big important things I think it would be a movie honestly that even Drake you would really appreciate because while it is a movie from the late 60s he chose to shoot it in black and white Oh, a lot of it for budgetary reasons just from what you mentioned earlier that's going to be probably more your speed okay yeah Yeah. so with this movie it was wildly successful but because of all these stupid back-end copyright issues, uh, they basically made no money off of it because yeah. it immediately went public domain. Well, and you can't find it hardly anywhere. I had to find it on YouTube, to be honest. I did, too. I'm talking about yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Night you can find anywhere okay. because it's public domain, right? Gotcha. But Dawn of the Dead is a pain in the ass to <laughs> yeah. track down. And to be honest, I had to watch it on YouTube. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I was very yeah. surprised. So... After Night of the Living Dead, 
Romero went on to direct a few other movies. So he made kind of like a rom-com, sex-com thing called There's Always Vanilla. Nice. He did Season of the Witch, which is kind of a psychological thriller with kind of a feminist bent. He did The Crazies, which was about weird exposure to some kind of viral contagion thing in a town and the government coming in and locking everything down. That movie has been remade. Crazies was great. There was a lost movie that he did not complete called The Amusement Park. And they just released kind of a like semi finished good enough version of it on both Shudder and Hulu last year. And then the one that I'm really looking forward to covering on our show as soon as it is available is Martin, which is fucking amazing. It's a young guy who's convincing himself that he is a vampire dot dot dot. And is he is he not? It's a very interesting like modern take on what are vampires. Oh, modern for 1977. (laughs) Yeah. So ahead of its time, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So this entire time, studios had been hounding him to get him to come back to zombies. Everybody wanted a fucking sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Everybody wanted to jump in on that. And he was just pretty resistant. So that's why there's literally a 10-year gap, which thinking about movies in general, that's a long fucking time Mm -hmm. to come out with a sequel to your movie. And I know now, like right now, we are used to all these legacy sequels that are now like 30 years later, right? We've obviously got Top Gun. You guys are covering Top Gun right now, right? Um, We mentioned Mad Max. That's another perfect example, right? All these franchises that have a massive gap. But before that was kind of mainstream, you really had to get in that two to three year window for people to still remember that movie and for it to still kind of be on the pop culture tip a little bit. 10 years was a wild gap, but everybody was so fucking obsessed with Night of the Living Dead that when they announced, hey, we're going to make this, it was instantly like, okay, cool. Yeah, we're all on board. Well, it it definitely worked because I saw that the budget for this film is only $640,000. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie made a shit ton of money. But the box office was $66 million. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. This was a massively successful movie. Should we do the old inflation calculator for that? Let's do it. I I, I didn't I didn't do that, but like, yeah. I did not I made do that either now that I'm like scrolling through my notes. While you're doing that, Romero kind of first got the idea for this film because he was friends with one of the people who built the Monroeville Mall, oh, and wow. he was taking like a backstage tour of this mall. And <laughs> backstage tour of a mall. <laughs> yeah. well, shopping malls were like a new thing at the time. What a weird thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even like the backstage part of it, not even like the regular, <laughs> like the exhibits yeah. and the fountain and the rides. They were, no, here's a they were going to make out <laughs> to be honest the back areas were kind of like insane from like a architectural standpoint in terms of like where are they how do you navigate and get to this thing so i while i was watching the movie those are like some of the more fascinating moments is going from like those back rooms or that they converted into bedrooms and point. like going through the ducks into certain stores and everything yeah. like that was i thought that was all was really that cool. Was cool yeah but yeah he was with a friend who helped build this mall and again shopping malls of this nature were like a new thing at the time Right. His friend just happened to joke, oh yeah, this will be a great place to hole up in the event of a disaster. And so, of course, he thought, oh, what about fucking zombie outbreak? So that was kind of the like instant nugget of, okay, cool, yeah, I could take this in a completely new direction. Let's start developing it. When did the shopping mall really kind of explode? The 80s. The 80s was all about the mall. They started as early as the 50s, but it was really the late 70s. It was right around here. 70s, like, 80s, yeah. Actual yeah. big 
big indoor malls were becoming a thing. And obviously the 80s was the fucking heyday of it. And like Derek was talking about earlier, it was such a good fit because the mindless people at a mall, you know, like just drones at a mall. It made so much sense. Zombies at a mall. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I I really liked that line that he was saying, and we kind of hinted at it in our introduction, the idea that why do they come to the mall when like when they don't know that they're there, anyone's there, any food's there. And it's like some thing in the back of their brain is still like remembering like this is where they where they spend all their days kind of wasting away. (laughs) When you completely lose your mind, you go to the mall. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that malls were a new concept around this time. And he had the forethought to be like, oh, this is just going to be American commodity consumption like embodied is this building capitalism pretty yeah. pretty forward thinking yeah i hadn't seen night of the living dead in decades when we did our episode on that and to see how he basically wrote the book on the modern zombie trope yeah. and night of the living dead was insane of just all the stuff we take for granted now when you think a zombie anything like walking dead any story with zombies he wrote so many of the chapters on things that people are still using this was what almost 10 years before texas chainsaw aaron where like the idea of horror happening in the in a house out in the country yeah we did an episode on that well a lot of the tropes of how the zombies function too because prior to yeah. the movie the idea of zombies was a very voodoo haitian kind of weird racial related thing it was more of exploitation of exotic cultures and things we don't understand that was kind of the zombie that people knew at the time mm-hmm. so this was a completely new take on that altogether Real quick, let's circle back around. James, did you fire up the inflation calculator to see what our numbers look like? I did. So through the old inflation calculator, that's about 500 and something million dollars yeah. for these days. It's a massive hit. Yeah, massive. It costs nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 680 yeah. grand. Yeah, that's 680 grand at the time. That's like $5 million budget. And then you make 500 million, basically. Yep. I think that's a good return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say yeah. Being able to... Run around a mall and push pies in zombies' faces. <laughs> oh my god! I, yeah, that was the one day where I would have hated being an extra. It's like fuckers. Like now you got to pie my face too. Yeah, yeah. God damn! I would absolutely never be an extra for a zombie movie. That spending hours in makeup just to wander around slowly—that sounds like a nightmare. Oh. Like that's <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough. <laughs> yep. Before we like kind of dive more into certain scenes, out of you three, are any of you three like horror newbies? Horror like cowards like me when it comes to movies at least (laughs) no no i've definitely been watching horror my whole life okay likewise i saw exorcist when i was a young child and laughed at it because of the effects (laughs) yeah because i was like a kid actor and i'm like look at that that's not even real what are you guys so scared me my my friends are just terrified with like a blanket (laughs) over their head and i'm like i'm sorry i just have no soul i guess i don't know yeah (laughs) i've I've been watching playing horror stuff forever it takes a lot to get me scared because i can get immersed but i can never get immersed enough to like ever truly like be afraid like there's always yeah. in the back of my mind i'm like i'm watching a thing on a screen the screen can't hurt me yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so this is kind of like repeating what I've said on multiple past episodes. But for me, I love the horror genre. I've always read horror. I've always played horror video games. Yeah. Shockingly, like as much as like a coward as I am about movies, horror video games, some of them scare me, but like I still play through them. I think there's a degree of control. I still have some control over like what's going on. Whereas with a movie, I don't. So that's the whole basis of how our show started is I'm the coward. Aaron's the hardened movie <laughs> fanatic. And we like that. approach each film from both perspectives. So 
So like to gauge how approachable this film is to newbies like me who like horror or want to get into horror, but like have been hesitant about movies. And then also like just to gush about it, Chris Farley style like Aaron does. Yeah. So let's start off up top here at Dawn of the Dead. Uh, it's not scary at all. No, like as right. far as uh, yeah. as, as far as horror newbies, no. it's not scary at all. Now, is it gory? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. If gore is yes. like certainly like a trigger for you or whatever, like this movie's a little bit over the top ridiculous, but it's still it's yeah. gory, right? <laughs> but it's not scary. Spoiler alert. Zombie gets its dome chopped off by a helicopter. <laughs> so awesome. It's really sweet. Someone's head literally explodes from a shotgun blast at some point. Yeah, like very, it's like one of the first shots of the movie. <laughs> yeah. The very beginning was the horror for me. That The real life. Yeah, the very beginning was like. Yeah, yeah the cops going through the building, shooting all these unarmed people. Like that was way scarier than yeah. the zombies for sure. And it was in a low income area. Yeah. It was like, oh, sh- again, we talk about shit has not changed. Yep. And like right here, police brutality on a low income area that's usually a non white area. These are the things that back in 1978, this was a fucking problem. Absolutely. So, the different cuts of this movie, I watched the US cut. So, I think it was a lot more guns, I assume. <laughs> uh, so, weirdly enough, no. Uh, this was. Gotcha before that was that much of a deal as far as censorship goes but I have a sneaky suspicion we all watched except Aaron who probably owns it physically I think we all watched the same YouTube upload yeah. because mine was the H- HD yeah, yeah, yeah. extended yes. like edition yeah, yeah. Like HD so. HDR yeah, yeah. Yep. the US yep. cut because I watched another cut for five minutes and I was like I gotta find a better one and it does not start off with that cop scene it starts off right afterwards all the gun violence was cut out of the beginning of it interesting yeah that's not yeah it's interesting cut. so there yeah. there are three primary cuts of this movie and i guess to preface all that so where the ball really got rolling with this movie actually coming into being romero and dario argento the director writer of suspiria deep red phenomena all that kind of shit one of the like mount rushmore italian horror directors they were buds they were fans of each other's work Argento convinced Romero like, yo, come to Italy, come here, stay in Rome. I will put you up, write the movie. I will help you raise money in exchange for the rights for me to edit the European cut. Ah, I didn't realize they were that closely knit. Yes. I just thought he just helped fund. Yeah. Argento helped him get all the foreign money for distribution overseas. Okay. And basically just left Romero alone to make the movie as he saw fit. So as far as the different cuts are concerned, There's three primary cuts. There is a 127-minute theatrical cut, uh, which that is the version that came out in the U.S. That's the most cut-and-dry basic version. There is a 139-minute extended cut, which is sometimes called the, like, director's cut or con cut. That sounds like the version that all of y'all watched. And then the Argento cut, the European cut, is only 119 minutes. It's actually the shortest version of the movie. But there are fan edits that can get all the way up to, like, 100 160 or so minutes that is just all of the known footage so where it gets tricky and we've already mentioned this the rights for this movie in the u.s are kind of fucked so it's one of those things where like the more people are talking about it and the more demand is being generated somebody's going to put it out here eventually but right now in the u.s at least everything is held up by the producer currently now overseas second sight is a uk distributor they actually released a fucking 
amazing box set of this movie. All three cuts in 4K, a fucking book, all kinds of extra bullshit. That's the version that I own. Mm-hmm. So if you have a 4K player, like if you have a PS5, that will play it. You don't have to worry about region locking. Cool. But there's tons of good shit on there that has every version of the movie. I actually went back and rewatched the Argento cut for the first time in years just to kind of get my head caught up on what all that included. How is that soundtrack? Because I know Goblin does the soundtrack for that one. So that's one of the differences, right? Argento got Goblin to do the score for the European cut. And he had worked with Goblin on, obviously, Suspiria, Deep Red, a lot of his earlier stuff. If you guys and our listeners have not listened to any like soundtracks by Goblin, I would specifically like listen to Suspiria. It's fucking rad. They're they're so good. They're like instrumental prog rock, but like for horror movies, Very like cool. Italian horror movies. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, he did the song uh, "Dead Boy Summer," right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. But yeah, the uh, theatrical cut included a mix of some of the Goblin score and then just library cues, which that's what Romero did on the first movie. Again, low budget, trying to save every penny. He didn't hire a composer. He just literally licensed. Wow. God, imagine making a classic movie with just fucking free library. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he just licensed library cues. Wow. So that's exactly what Romero did with this again. He basically just licensed a bunch of those tracks and then used some of the Goblin score for the theatrical. And then the director's cut, the longer version, is basically just the library tracks. That's so cool. And there are some little bits and pieces of things like the Argento cut supposedly cuts out a lot of the humor um, which Drake to your point earlier about the tone kind of being off mm-hmm. a lot of the jokey stuff gets cut out of that Argento version okay a man of culture I will say that version also has my favorite ending the way that it kind of cuts on that last line and smashes to black mm-hmm. it leaves you with more of a like fuck yeah kind of feeling but there's like some other weird little things like the helicopter kill is cut Boom. the setup run with the trucks is cut out it's a much shorter version of the movie that feels even choppier. Yeah. I will say I kind of dig them cutting the truck scene because that's felt a little bit uneven. They cut the first successful truck run just to kind of explain what they're doing. So on one hand, it kind of doesn't make sense when you see them doing all the shit with the trucks and you're not sure like why because they Mm. cut all the explanation and context as to why they're doing that. I see. But then there's stuff in the extended cut that y'all watch like there should have been a scene where at the very beginning they encounter a group of police that are all at the docks 
and they're all yeah. looting and they're trying to leave and get out. Yeah. One of whom is played by Joe Pilato, who would be the main antagonist in the next movie, Day of the Dead. So lots of fans like to make up some bullshit fan theory about this is kind of his <laughs> origin story. That's awesome. But yeah, there's different cuts to this movie. And that's what I think is kind of interesting is it's not a new take. It's not just, oh God, our modern brains, we can't handle long movies anymore, blah, blah, blah. People have always been like, oh, Donald the Dead's a little slow. Donald the Dead's long. Donald the Dead is mm-hmm. kind of plotting. Yeah. And Romero's kind of known for that. His editing pace can sometimes be either Michael Bay fucking fast and choppy, or it just kind of drags. And you, it's tough to be on that wavelength sometimes. Um, and then obviously that Argento cut moves quicker. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I feel like both those things happen in this movie. Like sometimes it was like yes. cutting really yeah. quick and I was like, wait, oh, fuck, what is going on? Slow the fuck down. And then other times we were in the same room for 40 minutes, felt like. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? See, I dig it. It feels like he was sober for the writing and high as shit for the shot list. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1978. Yep. I mean, Coke, baby. That's my point. <laughs> See, I dig it, man. I like a slow burn. And I also, I think that definitely a lot of zombie movies these days definitely took from that. You know, 28 Days Later is pretty slow you know like if you look at modern day movies even dawn of the dead the Zack snyder one there's definitely there's some times in there where it gets a little you're in the same room for 45 minutes i probably i wonder if that kind of came from romero doing this back in the day you know it kind of set the tone i am curious now having seen this because i haven't watched the Zack snyder remake since i was like in college maybe and i didn't like it back then but i do wonder if i would like it now because the crazy thing about that is that even people who dislike Zack Snyder like I do still like that movie and also to a lot of people who are fans of the original also really like the remake of his as well right. yeah yeah lots of people are still totally positive about his remake and despite everybody being really groany about it at first yeah yeah and like I think part of that too is James Gunn did the screenplay for the remake so I think yeah. that helped oh cool I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah Drake's gonna watch this tonight yeah so Drake as much as I don't like Snyder I cannot take away from the man knows how to shoot a shot he knows how to get some great beautiful shots Mm -hmm. just keep him away from the writing sure in my opinion keep him away (laughs) from screenplay so i think it was kind of the best of both worlds have james gunn do that screenplay yeah if he wrote his dawn of the dead remake it would just be full of fucking atlas shrugged (laughs) 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 so the other thing as far as look and feel of this and everything else the other kind of special sauce to the movie and this is where i personally think we get into the cocaine territory <laughs> romero is very much a like coffee and cigarettes kind of guy but uh tom savini is of course the makeup stud where uh, a lot of that oh, cocaine yeah. energy comes from and i don't know if you guys caught it but tom savini was kind of the leader of the bikers he was like the guy with the machete yeah, and everything yeah yeah and it was kicking ass through most of that time yeah. yeah tom savini was a legend he definitely appeared as if he was just on massive amounts of cocaine in those scenes. oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean he probably was again Absolutely. this is 1978 yeah. he's a legend let's go look at the line item for the budget where is per diem and miscellaneous <laughs> yeah what level how much? $100,000? But yeah, if you are interested at all, especially Devin, like if you're interested at all in effects, especially with horror, Tom Savini, man, is a legend. Like he, his work is insane. And this was one of the very, very first things that he worked on. And this is his most crude, you know, to y'all's point, to all of our points about the makeup in this being very crude, right? This was very much him at his most nickel and dime trying to make it work and trying to figure things out. That's Mm. the other 
other thing I kind of appreciate about this is they hired somebody to do effects and Tom Savini was just supposed to do the makeup and the effects guy bailed. So Tom Savini was like, fuck it, I guess I'll figure it out. (laughs) And to our point earlier too about the stunts, it was the same thing. They couldn't afford stunt guys. And Tom Savini was just like, I'll jump off the second balcony into (laughs) a fucking pool. So Savini was fucking deployed to Vietnam. He went to fucking Nam. He was in the shit, saw a lot of awful stuff. And when he came back, he got into makeup and his experience of Vietnam was kind of the main thing influencing a lot of his makeup work. Wow. He was like, I've seen a head blown off before. I could do, I could regret that. (laughs) Probably did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of the wild thing is if you just go from the like seven year span from this movie today and granted he did a lot of work in between uh including creep show which was another romero movie that they all worked on day of the dead has hands down absolutely the best makeup effects of the 80s yeah and that's a tall order so it is wild looking at this movie and again you can literally see like the red rim around everybody's (laughs) eyes and lips where the makeup just didn't get sponged on right the makeup in this is definitely rough but it's because he's figuring everything out and it's him and three other people having to make up two to three hundred extras every night to Mm. do all the zombie shit that's insane that's crazy i loved it you know i thought it was great I mean, I, I saw a review of it that was very interesting where somebody said it was a comic book movie that wasn't based on a comic book. Yep. That's a good description of it. Interesting. Yeah. That's exactly how Romero felt about it, too. So Savini even says in hindsight, gray makeup was a mistake. It didn't fucking work well on film. It looks like it's different colors. Mm. We slapped it on real quick. So obviously, yeah, you can see like people's hairlines. It adds a comedic element <laughs> sometimes when there's sure. not yeah, yeah, comedy. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we joked about earlier, the three M stage blood looked fucking awful on film. <laughs> it was so cool though. It looked great like in real life when you're looking at it, but then when you see it on film, like it just looks orange, right? I, I definitely like am on the same wavelength as you with the second viewing because like a lot of it was very endearing by it then. Was. Like I was like, okay, at, yeah. if you approach this movie at the level it's at <laughs> yeah. and like how like DIY low budget, which is crazy to me that the sequel to Night of the Living Dead, Romero didn't see any of that money like and yeah. he had to resort to like again DIY like indie kind of fucking horror filmmaking. Like I really did start finding it really endearing and appreciating yeah, it more. Yeah. For sure. I mean, they might have had the budget. It just might have gone up people's noses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That happens. But yeah, to your point earlier, James, about Romero, he specifically liked the look of the makeup. He thought it gave it a comic book kind of feel. Right. And um, that's one thing that's interesting. When you're going from Night of the Living Dead, which is in black and white, where the effects 100% hold up. All the makeup and all the effects and everything in the original black and white movie hold up because you're not seeing it in color. Right. And even in that movie, they were like, we just fucking put a bunch of gray face paint on people, whatever. Like it registers fine enough on film. Obviously that jumped to color. Like, it's going to look a little wild. He specifically liked that it was heightened and that it had that kind of feel to it. Like I mentioned, they kind of did a lot of shit figuring things out in the moment. Savini basically just had one mannequin dummy named Boris. (laughs) And that's the one that they used for every dismemberment, every fire, every explosion, every falling shot. It's just the same fucking dummy through the entire movie. Poor Boris. So they had to re-put it together like multiple times? (laughs) Yep, absolutely. See, back in the 30s, Boris would have just been a real dummy actor guy you know who's like super wasted yeah an actual guy named boris <laughs> yeah this outfit's flavor retarded yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. go out yeah, there we'll, we'll, we'll... your breath is not before good you enough. do take a swig of whiskey yeah <laughs> yeah that'll numb it so yeah savini like we mentioned he did stunts he is also one of the leaders of the biker gang 
His assistant, Tasso Stavrakis, is also doing stunts and is also one of the dudes in the biker Jeez. gang. He's got the sledgehammer. Yeah. So these guys are pulling triple duty for this fucking movie to get things done. It's yeah. insane. The head explosion that we joked about was also done the most foolproof way possible. It's just like David Cronenberg's scanners, where when all things fail and you can't figure out how to make the head fucking bust, you just take a goddamn shotgun and actually blow it the fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> so James and Devin, you sound like you work in films a lot and all that. Uh, how often do you see people pulling out real shotguns and blowing away effects like on... Well, depends on what state you're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, I almost got killed by a shotgun filming a movie once actually it's funny you bring that up (laughs) (laughs) they still do it we were talking about that like on our scanners episode how like the effects guy was like i got a loaded shotgun in my trunk let me go grab it we can blow this thing up that way (laughs) see filmmaking is an art form that you oftentimes have a vision and then you get in the thick of it and you go fuck how are we gonna do this let's wing it and like i was watching fifth element the other day we've seen this movie a million times whatever and there's the part where they are set the bomb to blow up the thing at the end right the big cruise ship or whatever the guy shuts the bomb off and then the alien turns over and hits the detonator to keep it going when he turns over hits the detonator it's a padlock with like painting around (laughs) so i'm like this is like a multi-million dollar movie a-list actors in it like but then props like fucking break the actual detonator and they were just like looking around on set like uh whatever grab that thing and put some paint on it and let's use that for the rest of the takes throw it on some burger boxes i feel like the nature of this creative industry is exactly like that so if you're like let's say you do a couple takes with a practical effect it's not working out. You're not getting the shot. The practical effect rig functions. It fails. What are you going to do? You got everybody standing around. Dollars being spent. People are exactly. like, yo, we got to go. Grab that shotgun. Yo, yeah. Let's go. yeah, 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 and so like stuff like that. Then movies like this, I get especially for people who are industry or like interested in filmmaking or being part of film or even just the makeup. Yeah. I think these movies, especially one like Dawn of the Dead, which again still is so DIY. The fact that it's ten years after Night is still blows my mind that Romero had do it himself. It's why these movies, I guess, are important to watch from that standpoint too. Yeah. Not just from like all the themes and aspects of that, which we'll get into in a second but just like the how it was made yeah Yeah. back in the day i got a chance to sit down with fucking legendary james karen hell yeah Uh, rest in peace yeah he died at like a hundred years old we just talked about him on our last episode with return of the living dead yeah 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 Yeah. i got a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about return of the living dead like i said this was way back in the day yeah he passed away pretty recently but he was telling me that there would be people who'd play a zombie one day and then they would be like a puppet tier the next day you know, like they're running puppets. People are doing their own makeup. People are making their own decisions about who does what. You know, it was this very like the crew ran the ship yeah. when it came to making that for sure. I think a lot of those indies are like that. Well, we find that with horror time and time again, even like these movies that are like classic important pieces of filmmaking that we take for granted. Like, oh, yeah, you know, they must have all the budget in the world. And so many people cut their teeth on horror. I mean, Peter Jackson's early movies are horror right. and like really like campy as 
shit gory horror. It's an interesting genre, not just from like the feelings it raises in you, but just the filmmaking itself. Drake, you and I are the video game horror nerds. I feel like there's a little bit of that also in video gaming because so many of the indies are always trying to make their next yeah, big horror game. It's interesting. It's like it's it's for some reason it's just like the easiest thing to do on a low budget, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's there are films and games. It's on the super indie level. It's horror movies and just movies where people just talk the whole time, you know, like uh, the walking yeah. for video games like that they call them. But, you know, I, I guess because a lot of horror movies are shot mm. in the dark and you can hide a lot of shit in the dark, right? So <laughs> don't need to buy as many lights. And the blood can be orange. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also one of those things where horror works the best. If you can't pull it off seriously, you can make it campy and it kind of works. There's, mm-hmm. Other genres don't work quite as well if you have to make it campy, right? So, you know, I think that's just the reason for it. Budgetary things. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of seeing a little bit of that world pop up with like the new Doctor Strange movie that just came out. People just not realizing the type of director that was Mm -hmm. that directed that movie. And a lot of the kind of more normies who aren't necessarily horror fans or anything are being sort of blindsided by some of the tone of that. And it's always fascinating to see that. And I said I had to watch this movie twice because I knew like I wasn't in the right mindset. I don't know what it was. The first watch didn't work for me, but you got to take an edible. Derek you got to take an edible <laughs> that's how you watch these and this is very true like expectations factor a lot into it as well and I mean there's definitely been things that I've watched the first time maybe I was in the wrong mood maybe I was just I had certain expectations that I was thrown off by and for whatever reason I just didn't like it the first time through and then watching it back when I knew what to expect I know what mood to be in to watch this and I know like what time of day to watch you know this, this, all the little factors that can play into your enjoyment of something um, so my, my, my mind has definitely been changed before but yeah I was I mean I, I at the beginning I, I said it felt like a student film because like I wasn't expecting it to be as low budget as it was like I thought that I, I didn't either I don't know when I can fit this in but I've got to tell you my favorite part what made this movie for me was the like buddy cop duo yes yeah these dudes are the most fucking like hyped up to be in the zombie apocalypse dudes you've ever seen <laughs> I love their dynamics so much because Peter will just look at Steven and be like hey man I think we got to go uh kill some zombies real quick and this dude will literally leap out of wherever he's sitting and be like let's fucking go baby like there is no hesitation these guys are having the time of their lives there's scenes where they're laughing and it looks like they haven't laughed like this in years and this is the most fun they're they're having you know it's amazing are you talking about steven or roger like the other cop or flyboy oh i'm sorry roger roger right steven was flyboy okay i'm sorry roger and peter roger and peter well well, and yeah. to that point, because I, I feel like Roger's arc is really fucking fascinating yeah. in this movie because I feel like he gets like a bit of PTSD over what happens in the beginning. Right. Realizes mm, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Like, you know, are we the walking dead? Uh, but uh, but uh, like, I think he gets a little shell shocked. And like the way he kind of copes or comes out is later on in the movie is he's reckless. Like you said, he's having a good time. Yeah. And at first, Peter's on board because they're like, yeah, you know, like, let's fuck these zombies up. But then like when they're get, actually getting in some dangerous situations he starts risk taking yeah. yeah eventually it catches up to him tragically enough i just kept saying their luck's gonna run out they are being so fucking reckless yeah it's gonna happen yep so this piggybacks on what i was gonna say james awesome. so i know that these actors had fun doing this movie even with all the craziness all the multiple takes all the I mean, doing this with the practical effects is what makes it fun 
I was an actor way back yonder, and I did a show in 2010, a stage show horror comedy called Splatter Theater. We put over 2,000 gallons of fake blood on stage every night, <laughs> yeah. and it was an hour-long slasher, basically like a whodunit. There's a murderer with a knife, and he's slowly killing all these stereotypes <laughs> in the most elaborate, intricate ways. Like, I got bludgeoned to death behind a couch, and I remember having to shoot my own blood up with syringes awesome. and threw rigs onto the wall while he's slamming this machete next to me and I'm behind a couch you see just blood. So like that part of it for me, I was like, was the show really scary? No. But was it gory because you get to like see how many different ways we get to kill people and you can see the enjoyment on the actors and the audience's faces. I mean, this show was like a Gallagher show. Like, if you were yeah. in the first couple rows, hence the name, Splatter Theater. Right. But I remember having so much fun in that. And when you, as an actor, a performer have so much fun, it comes out in your performance. Yeah. And I think you can really see that in the buddy cop duo you just mentioned and stuff. So whether that was planned or not, I don't know, but I, I know there's probably a byproduct as a result of the practical effects. Yeah. I was along for the ride. I was like, these guys are gnarly. Just yeah. Usually in horror movies, <laughs> the dynamic is Hey, bro, we got to go get those guns out of that store. And the other guy always is like, oh, I don't know, man. Ooh, that sounds dangerous. And this one, he literally was just like, let's go. <laughs> like, Let's fucking go. And yeah. <laughs> to that point, Steven Flyboy is more kind of that dynamic right. of just, I don't know, man. Yeah. But then even he kind of cracks under the pressure of everything because like he succumbs to a materialism yeah. because when the bikers are in there breaking all their shit, Ken Foray is just like, let's just let them go. Like, let them do their thing. They'll leave. Yeah. We'll figure it out after that. Like, stay up on the second floor, hide, just make sure they're like not going to set the place on fire while they're, that's happening Steven's whispering is like this is our stuff we found it we deserve this yeah. and starts opening fire on them and like that's him succumbing to that and before him Roger was kind of succumbing more to like the thrill of it the thrill of this crazy almost soldier lifestyle yeah. even kind of weirdly For enough sure. I will say because Aaron and I this was something we talked about on Night of the Living Dead uh, on that episode is the lead female character in that is not really given enough to do I think Francine Fly Girl I think she is a better character in this movie I can see him being a better writer in terms of other characters that just aren't macho dudes but like I still think she kind of was left a little bit behind in this movie but I do like that he actually gave her agency unlike the character in Night of the Living Dead he had her learn to fly she also really spoke up for herself on this one as well too because exactly fairly early on he wrote some scene where she was supposed to like trip and fall on the ground and then like scream and and she was like, yeah, cool. I'm not going to fucking be constantly tripping and falling in this movie. Was that Galen Ross herself? Yeah. Yeah. Fought back against that. Good That's for her, awesome. man. Yeah. And she was like, I'm not just going to be constantly screaming in this movie either. Like, I'm part of the group. Let me fucking have to learn to survive like the other three characters, you know? So she very much stuck up for herself in terms of the role. You know, it's it's an interesting evolution to see how his female characters evolve over the course of his movies. Because even the other movies that I mentioned earlier, the stuff he did in between that wasn't horror related necessarily, were very much, you know, about themes of modern for the time, feminism at least. So it seems like he definitely kind of started figuring out how to write women 
women a little bit better for sure. Well, and, and horror again being a little bit of a, ahead of the curve. There's an open conversation about abortion in this movie, yeah. which I didn't yeah. expect. Yeah. We keep finding that with these early 70s horror movies of like they're not afraid to openly talk about this stuff as just like matter of a fact kind of right. conversation yeah. Yeah. in a time when like, you know, I mean, we're still fucking dealing with that now. But, you know, and at a time, especially in the 70s, where it was very much a taboo topic. I mean, they had the guy commit suicide in the beginning. Yeah. When shit yeah. really started to go bad and he just put the gun to his head, they didn't show it. But yeah, I thought that too. I mean, we're showing suicide. We're talking abortions here. We're talking about shooting minorities. This movie got into so much stuff. And you guys you wonder how it was difficult to get made and how there was no funding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. And I wonder, does Zack Snyder's remake, does it send like a lot of messages like this? Does his, is his as poetic as the original one was? Or was it more of just a zombie flick? It's more of just a zombie thing. Right. And it has some different stuff that it's kind of dealing with from a technical standpoint and everything else. But the whole angle of the remake really just focuses on the consumerism side of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the most obvious, basic, that is the thesis of what this movie is. That's arguably the biggest theme going on here. But this movie has a lot of other issues on its mind. Right? Yeah, it's kind of looking at the entire collapse of society society as a whole and how all of those things kind of factor into our downfall to varying degrees well and and to the point where like even more so than here because we talked about some of the horrors of of night the living dead showing like the idea of all these institutions like the police we think are there to like serve this purpose of protecting us or whatever and then like them collapsing or not doing their job and in this movie, it takes it a step further, I would argue, because it shows them literally also looting. So we get through that whole like that whole scene of half the police force just executing like innocent people. The next scene we get to is those police that are just looting and like just fucking ditching their duty. Yeah. We're getting on a boat. We're going to go try and find an island and just live out our days on an island. Yeah. Fuck off. We're out. <laughs> when it started with the guy on the news denying that it's even happening, you know, like the guy's like, ah, yeah. Yeah. this is bullshit. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah, like talk about like stuff that's like a big problem right now. Like, <laughs> like this is just a hoax. Starting off the movie with that was yeah. Cool. There's like zombies at his door. He's like, this is fake news, you know? Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are no such things. Well, and then like after all that shit, before we get to like the police looting, but like after all the shit that happens in the building in the beginning, it ends with Peter and Roger meeting up and the basement being like, that was fucked up, right? Yeah. And then that guy comes out. I was like, by the way, we don't want to kill our own family members who have turned into zombies yeah so we've been saving them all and leaving them here in the basement it's your guys duty do your duty yes. execute all our family yes. for us and he had that scene where he's just fucking one by one just boom, boom. Yep. yeah <laughs> yeah jesus man i was like holy shit this movie is not fucking around yeah. and like and that's where the backlash that i think drake and i were having issues with was happening because you had this goofy ass makeup on these zombies but then like you had all these crazy like timeless american American problems that this movie is addressing and like critiquing. It's like, yeah. what the fuck tone is this? Yeah. And it was sort of a Vietnam metaphor. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of that in here as well. Cause I mean, Romero was a news guy. He covered a lot of Vietnam. Savini was in Vietnam. 
that was very much at the heart of a lot of this as well. Just that really fucking raw and rough violence just constantly making its way into American homes through the TV every night in the most weird fucking unfiltered ways. Yeah. And then like us just being like, well, okay, that was interesting. And then going to the mall. Yeah. Is that like very much like (laughs) people were seeing this in the mall, you know, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Another wild thing that I kind of thought about while I was watching it this time, this movie fucking hits different in the wake of COVID for sure. Yeah. Just the entire desire to create a sense of normalcy and why the survivors decide to like stay and nest in the mall, essentially, instead of just getting what they need and leaving just the whole, why do they turn on all the power? To the mall. Why turn everything on except for just the area they're staying? And there's no fucking reason to keep all the lights, the exhibits, the music, the fucking lazy voice announcements, right? Like, there's no reason to keep all that shit running. Because we got to move the plot forward, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why. Well, it's, it's all about them kind of manufacturing this sense of normalcy, right? And they just want everything to, like, feel normal. I mean, I would have turned on the arcade. Absolutely. (laughs) Derek and I have talked about this on previous episodes. There is that innate sense of spookiness to like empty public buildings like malls or schools or churches or places like that. Right. So like on one hand, you kind of want it to feel like it's normal operations day to day, but there's no fucking practical reason for that other than just we need to block out the actual bullshit that's outside right now and just try to live in this weird little manufactured, you know, shell that we've made to me. It seemed like they were first doing it to keep their morale up like that they didn't go crazy because you know after you meet the needs of food and shelter and water you need to take care of yourself mentally but then it becomes about denial completely is about trying to make the outside world go away just go to sleep and everything will be okay you know I think the wake up call is Roger's death and then just Francine and Steven just going at each other's throats passive aggressively like they're a married couple and Peter just stuck in the middle (laughs) yeah being literally the waiter yeah Yeah. (laughs) which that's that's a bro move to be like, yo, we're all fucking stuck here in the zombie apocalypse. Let me, like, yeah. give y'all a nice date. I thought so, too. But, yeah, despite having everything that they need, you know, need in air quotes to survive, they still go way off into the mall for, like, bullshit. Yeah. Initially, it kind of starts like, we need to go for lighter fluid. Oh, well, let's grab a portable TV. Oh, we need guns and ammo. Now we get clothes. Yeah. Now let's drag furniture back up here, jewelry, like, whatever. Like, none of that shit. It just, it doesn't stop. It, it all snowballs. It's like the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw a pretzel stand back there. You guys want a pretzel? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, absolutely. we need some fucking <laughs> Auntie Anne's. I'm craving. Yeah, and they're going crazy. Yeah. One of the parts that I or it's actually two parts of one that happens sooner and one happens later but they kind of parallel each other I really liked was that there's that scene where like they get there and they're like oh we found all this money in the cashier yeah. and they just start taking it. they're like yeah you never know we may need it later yeah. but then when you get to the scene where all the bikers are there and they're looting everything they do the same fucking thing at least especially for Steven Steven's acting like they're the high and mighty and they're not yeah. they're no different than these raiders are and the raiders are like stealing jewelry stealing again paper money money's still money 
that would be completely useless in an apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, but money is still money. I love the fat biker grabbing the TV and the guy being like, what the fuck are you going to yeah. watch? And then he's just like, I don't oh, know. Oh, man, you're right. Just drops it. <laughs> <and fucking laughs> throws it into that just other smashes TV. it. It's like, at least keep it for somebody. <gasps> Those bikers, yeah. they are the real ones, yo. They grabbed yeah, Jerry they off are. of the zombie. <laughs> yeah. They were like doing the circles and they pickpocketed the zombie. Yeah. I'm like, bro, that is some intense shit. I think you either try to find normalcy in life when the world ends or you just go fucking full biker or full bandit. Yeah. You know, it's like one or yeah. the other. Yeah. And I honestly, I kind of was thinking, I was like, as long as they're not like actively going out of their way to like kill and rape, like that biker game seemed pretty rad. And they like, would they seem like they have a good time. In but in life, reality, they, they probably been. do all the awful yeah. shit. So, yeah. yeah. But like, I do, I do love a real hero of this movie. So the main characters, Ken Foray as Peter is, is my hero yeah, of this movie. Too. He's fucking amazing in this. Yeah. But the real hero of this movie is the biker who realizes he's dead. He's surrounded by zombies and unarmed. He realizes he's fucking dead. He decides to get his blood pressure taken oh, yeah. as he's ripped <laughs> apart by zombies. That's the real one. That guy's a hero. He's keeping us aware of your blood pressure. Okay, everybody go get that checked ASAP. No, <laughs> even if you're about yep. to get ripped apart by zombies, it's important, <laughs> goddammit. I was like, they're going to do the gag. They're going to do the gag. And they did it where like the blood pressure cuff finally goes off when he's ripped off his own arm and it's just the arm and it goes zero over zero. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and as much of a total lash the first time that was, I was like, Jesus Christ, what is this movie trying to be? The second time, I, I laughed pretty hard. They that. put some fake arm arm into that thing to make it read zero for zero like <laughs> oh my god yep. I love it that was totally just one of those improvised in the moment kind of things because yeah. somebody either on the cast or the crew was like what if we just did this and Savini was like yeah I can make that work <laughs> Rewatching it the second time there was no yeah. reason for that guy to just sit on the blood pressure cuff no. oh yeah no but unless he knew he was fucked like he knew he was fucked so he's like alright I guess I'll just go out with a gag and I was like alright <laughs> I respect that <laughs> if you notice he was carrying his man mannequin and puts the mannequin next to it against the yeah. wall and then puts his arm in. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. my love Well, because I know earlier the shooting had begun upstairs and he didn't give a fuck. And somebody was like, hey, man, people are shooting at each other. Like, stop playing with the arcade games, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that was it. Maybe he's just like, I don't care. I'm going to put my arm in this thing. I don't even notice these zombies. He was just in <laughs> bliss. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like, even though money is completely fucking meaningless, right? And all the stuff in this mall is nearly inexhaustible for just the four people sitting on it, right? Fucking avarice still sets in. There's no reason why Roger needed to go back for his bag of tools when there's literally an entire fucking hardware section of JCPenney's. <laughs> yeah. I was so confused. He was like, yeah. fuck, I forgot my bag. I was like, and go so what? More. Like, yeah. what the fuck was in that yeah. bag that you can't replace in that mall? Yeah, true. Yeah, the money from the bank is functionally useless. The jewelry is useless. The decor around the mall is useless. Yeah. Like I said, Steven's still wants to keep the bikers from taking any of it because it's now it's their stuff right yeah. that entire weird kind of mindset still creeps in despite the fact that a none of this was ever yours and b none of it's fucking useful at this point <laughs> it'd be hard to tell roger no though man that guy's a fucking yes guy yeah you know yeah He's like i forgot my tools what are you gonna tell roger no yeah I'm like well then i'm going back for him you he know? fucking left behind that windbreaker that he tied around his waist no big deal but yeah gotta have those tools gotta have that back. <laughs> he lost one of his rifles and was yeah. like all right well yeah. that zombie has it now yeah. I, I love that that zombie kept holding both guns the entire time <laughs> months have passed and that zombie is still holding the gun <laughs> 
even yeah. to the very end, he like grabs the other gun and just kind of looks at it and just hands the other one back. <laughs> like, sure, I'll take this one now. We're going to find out that Roger's bag of tools was actually just like a meth bag. Yeah. He's like, no, you don't understand. We have to go back. <laughs> that was his bag of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> one of the oddly like creepier and like also kind of tragic scenes for me beyond Roger turning, like when Roger pulls that cover down, he almost looks confused or he almost looks surprised like he did come back because yeah. he said, I'm going to try my hardest not to come back. And then he does. There's almost like there's a little bit of awareness of him left that he came back yeah. despite saying he wouldn't. So there was that. But the other scene was when they're like kind of doing their bullshit on the first floor and Francine is in the store behind the glass and the zombie comes up to her and is just staring at her and then they both sit down oh, yeah. and just kind of yeah. like look at each other. That is something with the Romero movies and it's interesting how other zombie stories don't always adapt this trope but in the Romero movies they really hammer home that there is still some awareness and some right. of the past self in the zombies because yeah. in Night of the Living Dead they're like using tools. One zombie literally stabs someone to death instead of trying to bite them and then in future Romero movies it's always explored of like zombie personality yeah. but like that one scene was kind of heartbreaking because that zombie there was something going on with her and Francine where they kind of recognize each other and it's just if this glass was not there I'd be trying to kill you but that, since it's there we're just kind of like having this quiet and moment together that's one of the things I love about these Romero movies and also just really zombie movies in particular one of the things that always pops out to me is maybe she knew her before she was a zombie and yeah. he always gets into this imagine having to like kill a loved one you know like when Peter finally like had to shoot yeah. Roger and it's like you, you have to kill this person that you love or else they'll kill you all of them knowing that Roger is going to turn including Roger himself yeah. he got bit he knows he's fucked but he has three days so like let's have fun yeah. and then like when he's reaching that point of just saying like I promise you I'm going to try not to come back and then he does that was a gut punch and again like a tonal like backlash <laughs> yeah yeah go Roger rest in peace <laughs> <laughs> so yeah a couple of other bits and pieces of behind the scenes stuff real quick so there were supposed to be a completely different ending to this movie that they decided to scrap the original ending was brutal as fuck it was way darker it was gonna be peter shooting himself in the head and then francine literally on the top of the roof with the helicopter surrounded by zombies just being like fuck it and she just gets out and stands up into the helicopter blades and just like takes her head off right okay yeah imagine pregnant francine doing that at the end gotcha that was the original ending of this fucking movie they were like that didn't test so well with audiences yeah yeah maybe we should have and minor spoiler alert for Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead definitely ends in a brutal fucking way like that. Yeah. Like a no yeah. no escape kind of ending. Yeah. But yeah, they shot some of that ending, but not all of it. So the head cast, right, the mold that they took of Galen Ross's head for that helicopter shot, they repurposed it for the like head explosion effect. Tom Savini was like, I can fucking paint this brown and put a wig on it and it'll just yeah. be like somebody in this tenement building. Right. But that was supposed to be the original ending of the movie talk about fucking bleak sheesh i would have preferred that the goal (laughs) to like be like that's the most fucked up ending we can think of we're gonna put that to screen and it'll just be i'd like respect you know yeah. Well, and we, we talked about this on night because night, like when it was screening, it was oftentimes screening in matinees when kids were going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. They went thinking like, oh, it's a, another like just goofy ass horror movie. And this one has zombies in it. And for the first 20 minutes, they were saying in the film, like the kids were laughing and having a great time. Oh and by the end, it was dead quiet. Some of the kids were crying because they just like had their brains blown away about like what the fuck darkest fuck adult <laughs> ending, like critique of American 
culture just <laughs> shotgun blasted in your faces. Time to grow up, kids. Here you go. Yeah, we wonder why people from the 70s got all fucked up, you know? Yep. Yeah. That and all the lead and fucking everything is what happened yeah. in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. But I do wonder between, like, the original ending of this, of the original, and then, like, kind of also being, like, what happened to those cops that abandoned Post and went on the boat in the remake that I feel like both those aspects kind of influenced oh, the okay. ending to that. Yeah. The boat and, like, the no escape ending. It's kind of the what happened next kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. I'll give it a watch. I mean, I, I've seen it. It's just been since it came out. I saw it in theater, and that was the last time I saw it, you know. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, yeah I, it's been a while for me, too. I got to rewatch it. And I, I, my memory of that movie might be better than what it actually is, too. Like, <laughs> on that rewatch, I might be like, oh, not, not as good as I remember. Yeah. But, yeah, the, uh, like we mentioned earlier, they shot in the Monroeville Mall overnight from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Like you joked, when the music came on, they were like, fuck it, we got to quit. And that was really only apparently because nobody figured out how to turn the music off so they were just like yeah fuck it that's just when we're gonna call it quits they shot over the course of the 77 to 78 winter they took a break for about a month during christmas because they didn't want to waste all the fucking time every night taking all the christmas decoration down and then having to put them all back up so they went and shot some other stuff romero actually took the opportunity to like put a rough cut together to kind of figure out what all they needed to actually film the second time around and the fucking pie fight we keep bringing up the pie fight (laughs) so the reason why that's in the movie is because that was a fucking long held in joke from the production of the very first movie okay one of the original producers suggested as a joke during the original movie why don't we fucking just kill the zombies by like smashing them in the face with pies <laughs> and so that joke just held on forever and Romero was like yeah fuck it let's just put it in this too his one quote about it just is war is hell until it turns into a party so <laughs> there you go it's still awesome. like the most inextricable thing I wonder if there was any flashbacks from Vietnam for our makeup hero yeah. with pie fights down in the thick of it <laughs> in the Nam. he's like I remember we used to throw pie fights at each other in Nam. yeah my buddy got hit Getting the leg, yeah. took his entire leg off with that cherry pie. I was a helicopter pie fighter. I'd throw him <laughs> off, the, off the Huey. <laughs> Also, too, it's been literally fucking months in this mall. And the fact that they just opened this fridge and there's still, like, cream pies hanging out. Like, sure, (laughs) sounds good. Those totally wouldn't be covered in fucking mold or just be cheese by this point. (laughs) The gun shop, to James's point earlier about, is the American cut just the one with all the guns? The gun shop's not actually part of the real mall. Oh, Oh, you think? I didn't know. It was the 70s. What was the last mall you went to with a gun store? 70s. Yeah, it was the 70s. So, yeah. but it, it was an odd addition. Yeah, I mean, it was the 70s. Who the fuck knows? I mean, they had all kinds of weird shit in malls back then. You're right. Dev, you live in Florida. You're right. I did get that sense of dis- <laughs> uh, I could suspend disbelief because of that. Yeah. But when even like the visual of You're it. You're in Florida like, you, right you, now and I'm in Mississippi. And yeah, there's, just I, there's guns, guns fucking everywhere. everywhere. There's, yeah. there's a gun shop next to the Spencer's. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> I'm just saying like the look of the inside, the design of the walls, like the aesthetic, you know, even kind of look like oh this visually appears like it's a different place versus like the same kind of molding and like paint and like whatever else well uh it was a real gun shop in pittsburgh and they shot the scenes there edited them in it's pretty seamless for the most part yeah the ice rink 
however, was actually part of the fucking mall. They had like a full size skating rink at this mall. So that was definitely a thing. It is no longer there. It is a food court. But yeah, this mall as a whole is still there crazy enough. And there is a statue bust of George Romero there. While shooting to save money, Romero had the 35 millimeter that they were shooting on developed into 16 mil that he could edit from. And then they just printed the scenes that they wanted for the master from there. They were shipping the film to New York for development and immediately a tech would call him and discuss if they needed to do reshoots instead of waiting for it to come back after a few weeks. So they were, like I said, really fucking penny pinching on this thing. Just every minute that they stayed in that mall was wasting time and money. So they were trying to get everything done as quick as they could. And then lastly, as far as the ratings go. So one crazy thing about the first movie that we talked about was there was no MPAA at the time when the first movie came out. It is still just an unrated movie. This movie, however, came out after the MPAA was formed. And so they immediately were like, cool, you're getting a fucking X rating. (laughs) And at this time, X ratings were associated with porn, right? And so Romero like had to bend over fucking backwards to convince them to still release the film and just release it unrated instead of releasing it as an X. Because that was like an immediate, you're not going to get any better. He had to bend over backwards to prove it wasn't a porn. Yes. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) Clockwork Orange in 71 was an X rating. Yeah. So was Midnight Cowboy. Yes. But like, you know, when it's like something controversial or gory, they'll just slap that X rating on it to like disincentivize the distributors, disincentivize people to go watch it. But of course, that has the reverse effect and everybody that wants to go watch it. Yeah. And they released it unrated, but they did have like a specific tag that was, you know, although this film has crazy amounts of fucking violence and gore, there's nothing sexually explicit in it. So, you know, for the handful of places that still released it with an X just for fuck's sake, they like at least had that disclaimer. I mean, it didn't, it didn't hurt the box office at all. No, for sure. It's certainly on the opposite hand. It didn't stop lots of countries from banning this movie anyway. So lots of places (laughs) still censored it and kept it from being released. So that's just kind of par for the course with horror, unfortunately. Again, I was really, really thinking about this movie in the context of COVID, which I watched the Argento cut on one flight at the beginning of my vacation and the extended cut on the return flight. And uh, both times I was watching, like, surrounded by other people sitting next to me and just right. did not give a fuck if they're seeing, like, headshots and people <laughs> getting ripped apart. But oh, yeah. uh, there was a girl sitting next to me who was like, what are you watching? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Dawn of the Dead. It's the one where, like, the people are stuck in the mall. And she's like... No, that movie's not that old. And I was like, no, this is the original one. Oh, wait, they had an original one? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The one with the dad from Modern Family. Nope, that's the remake. (laughs) So ended up, she had some AirPods, so we just did like the audio share thing, and she watched the fucking movie with me. Nice. It was kind of hilarious just because she was probably a decade younger than me, I guess. So it was kind of hilarious watching it through her eyes and occasionally looking over at her when there was wild shit happening and just her being like, oh, did that guy really get ripped apart? the fuck no <laughs> like I mean, no this hey. is fucking fake what are you talking about you know. she was just so like blown away by like you can get away with this in a movie yeah there's no sag in pittsburgh <laughs> yeah they get away with this kind of shit on fucking walking dead every week now and families tune in for it like crazy <laughs> yeah. so just where the bar is now is kind of hilarious 
One thing I did want to kind of bring up, though, and this is something that I think watching this movie now, there is a different effect that it has. Because when this movie came out, this movie's lifetime has spanned the time from when malls were still fucking new and exciting to now when malls are fucking ghost towns and they're just being outright closed. So, like, what do y'all think future generations of fans are going to be able to relate to in this? And are they even going to be able to understand the significance of the mall as a concept in terms of the consumerist angle of this kind of coming across? Weird fucking synchronicity. James, Devin, Drake, we didn't talk about this at all. This was just kind of a a random talking point I thought about earlier today. I was in the fucking shower or something and I thought about this. I was like, I need to bring this up. Say we remade this. It had another remake and we were going off the 1978 and this remake is for 2022 or 2023. What would be the new angle? Like, can't just be in another mall, right? You said it in Amazon factory. Exactly. And that's exactly (laughs) what I thought. The group gets trapped in an Amazon (laughs) factory and they have access to all the shit that everyone orders from Amazon, including food. That would be the basis for the modern day remake. They were fighting robots. too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Robot zombies. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that. Yeah. If you're in the right factory, you get a ticket to space. (laughs) Yeah, because malls are super obsolete. Like I was thinking about it. I was like, I haven't thought about a mall in forever yeah unless it's a tourist attraction like the mall of america like yeah. it's it, malls are just like dead, i was thinking about that i was like in a couple of years you're gonna have to explain a mall it's like imagine if amazon was a place like <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and malls have just been digitized now just mm. like everything else but i think like a mall has its ethos origin in a bazaar from yeah. like yeah. ancient times sure. you know like you're walking around a place where people have gathered to bring stuff and barter and make transactions like that is very communal and the act of doing that is very communal and engraved in us how that manifests is absolutely going to change but I think people will look back at the malls and see oh that was just a brick and mortar Amazon or eBay mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that but like the weird thing would be like oh wait they actually used to like have an ice rink and like eat pretzels and like do this other weird shit there okay that's kind of odd yeah. but I think the fact that people are getting together it's to the point where I, I even wonder if Amazon eventually will even try and like repackage malls as yes, a, oh here's absolutely. like an, an in-store <laughs> Amazon warehouse that you can come into and it's just a fucking mall they will all be automated yeah it'll yeah. all yeah. be automated too I mean they're already using AI yeah. from NVIDIA and all their stuff yeah. and you know whatever yeah. so Fully automated, like you have drones delivering, like if you're coming for a pickup and you don't have to get out of your car, Mm -hmm. the drone like brings the (laughs) item to you. Like, yeah, but I I do think like a modern day take, if you really want to spearhead consumerism in America, but still kind of keep the spirit of Dawn of the Dead, Amazon Warehouse is the perfect place to like set it in. Let's do it. I feel like. Yeah, we got to call it something different than Amazon. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, this idea, TM, TM, TM for like just us. A mall zone. Huh? Yeah, malls. Uh-huh. <laughs> Call it the Nile. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Nile. Nile. <laughs> All the dialogue in the movie is just explaining what the Nile is. So it's like, yeah, the Nile uh, was originally formed as like this bookseller online, and he, <laughs> he became a massive asshole and tried to go into space one time. They sell dildos <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, dick shaped rocket like ships. Dildos, the dildos. <laughs> Would there be anything else? So besides the idea of an Amazon factory and all that, all the other themes that this movie tackles 
tackles are still fucking problems we're dealing with now, if not more so. So you could still got one. keep a lot of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. The Travis Scott concert. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> That's where Patient Zero is at. Like the yeah. Travis Scott concert. <laughs> fucking real life. Horrors. I mean, like the obvious is like instead of being an actual viral thing with zombies, the zombie part is everyone staring at their phone uh, and locked in or have some kind of like tech hook device, a Neuralink thing. That yeah. Plugged there in. They become Neuralink. zombies in the real world because they're just living in Zuckerberg's metaverse, like that type of shit. Yeah, we're on the cusp of it now. When you murder someone, you get a loot box, so that's why they're like trying to kill each other. (laughs) The addiction is real. You got to get your legendary zombie gear. You got to become the zombie that's a ballerina zombie or a football zombie or a chef zombie. Which I I did read. The reason why Romero does that, even up until his more modern zombie movies, was because it it was his way of showing that anyone can become a zombie, no matter who you are. I don't know how much of that is true or not. Yeah, that's kind of always been what his was and I appreciate it too because looking at behind the scenes stuff there's interviews with a lot of those extras like the woman who is the nurse zombie was like oh yeah no I've been to conventions before people have gone all over the world to like fucking meet me I want to be buried with a copy of this fucking movie in my grave yeah just those people are still (laughs) so jazzed by the fact that they were in the movie and they had like a specific I was this zombie why did he focus so much on the Hare Krishna zombie (laughs) that feels like a commentary joke that I I missed. I missed. You're a zombie. And yeah. Religion, yeah. Man, you know? But like, was he making fun of the Hare Krishnas because they were like big back in the seventies oh, yeah, or for something? Sure. They made fun of them in. A, I think it was just uh, the fact that yeah, they were around. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Made fun of an airplane as well. Yeah. They did. Yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah. 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 Now I'm sure it would be like Mormon kids on bikes as zombies. Yeah. Or exactly. A Scientology zombie. It would be fucking Trumpers, dude. Because <laughs> the Hare Krishnas used to come up to you in the mall in the airport and they'd bug the shit out of you yeah so i think that was in the 70s they were like ah gotcha yeah the most irritating zombie the one last thing i wanted to bring up and aaron you kind of said like we would talk about this real life biker gang did they really like were some of those extras actual like biker gang people Mm. yes they were okay so all of the rednecks that you see at the beginning of the movie where they're kind of having their like hoo hoot good time all real extras from the area mm-hmm. all of the military and police guys were all like weekend warrior <laughs> national guard types who like again they were already doing an exercise and they're like fuck it like come over here and film for an hour all those people were real the bikers were all part of a real gang called the pagans nice. fuck yeah <sighs> fuck yeah <laughs> there's a handful of them like I said obviously Savini and Savakis were the makeup guys do but they were they fit right the fuck in with them yeah there is a brief moment in certain cuts of the movie where you can see Romero dressed up as Santa Claus on a motorcycle (laughs) running around that's awesome (laughs) all those fucking dudes were like actual bikers for the most part they just happened to be in the area and they hired them you know I could tell too because I ride motorcycles it's the way they ride yeah when they're riding around some of those things you can tell that they not only have a familiarity but a balance on the bike to where you can do certain things that a novice rider I mean, obviously, there's stunt people who know this as well, but like those trikes are very, very difficult to turn on because they have a tendency to flip. The trikes with wheels in the back are actually illegal to manufacture in the United States now. That's yeah. why you see them with wheels in the front and stuff. So, like, you can just tell that these guys and gals, like, had done this once or twice, maybe on some back road, maybe on some bar or something. Well, and it was the 70s, man. This was the Hell's Angels peak. You know, this is when Hunter right. S. Thompson yeah. was doing the Hell's Angels 
Angel's book was right around this time. They knew how to yeah. fire a gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was just the opposite end of the country. Yeah. yeah. Two points to that. They get paid to go fuck around in an empty mall yeah. like was in a zombie movie yeah. on their bikes. A. B, another scene where like you could see the shoestrings, we should say, of the movie is when the bikers are coming in. Like normally you'd think like the zombies would just keep circling and coming in. All the zombie like extras are just kind of standing there, like letting them do their thing as they pass by. And I was just like, yeah, they didn't want to get hit on by a motorcycle. The zombies are kind of acting like surprised a little bit. So he's like, I just watched that biker slam six beers before he got on that thing. I'm not getting anywhere near it. Okay, so on that note, extras came up of the fucking woodwork to be in this movie they were all paid a dollar they got a donut <laughs> and they were all given a fucking shirt a dollar that's and it because everybody in the area was just like fuck yes we want to be in this movie thousand percent i would do that now yeah. to get a t-shirt for like a movie like this and a donut yeah. yeah there were a shit ton of local musicians that romero was buddies with that all just showed up and were like yeah fuck it we'll be in this movie cool. several of the extras were amputees like actual real life amputees for them to do some of the stunts and gags with the motorcycle gang they again all rode their own bikes so like none of that was even provided and as far as alcohol <laughs> goes we joked about them slamming fucking beers so that brown derby bar that yeah. you see that's like on the second story it's got like steakies yeah, yeah that was a real bar and it was open after hours so <laughs> all the fucking time the extras would go get made up in their zombie makeup and then go to that bar and then go get beers and get oh, fucking yeah. wasted Let's go to steakies and tom savini was joking that all these fucking inebriated extras walking around that actually kind of helped them get into character a little bit because they're sure. just fucking stumbling <laughs> in a daze everywhere. Amazing. Amazing. One night, there was a drunk couple who stole a golf cart and crashed it into one of the marble pillars <laughs> and caused like $7,000 worth of damage to the mall. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. They're like, and the cameras weren't even rolling. <laughs> I, I wonder if that Romero Romero's buddy kind of regretted it some nights. Yeah. yeah. The two kids zombies that we see at the beginning were Savini's niece and nephew. That's right. So talk about like, oh yeah, we're gonna go be in fucking Uncle Tom's movie. Yeah. I love how like they jump his ass too. Oh, like they're yeah. just crawling all over. Kid zombies are the worst. Yeah, how he did not get bit from them is hilarious to me, but yeah. like, they fucking like YOLO'd their way right into him. <laughs> and Ken Forey's action was, or his reaction to that scene was pretty genuine because he did not know that they were going to be kid zombies. Oh, he like God. opened oh, the door wow. expecting it to be an extra and it ended up being these two kids so he genuinely was like the fuck (laughs) the guy who was one of the extras the very beginning that was one of the gang members and like the rooftop high rise that was clearly in brown face that guy is john amplis he was the lead actor in martin Romero's movie before this and he was the casting director for this movie so he was that gang leader at the beginning, and he played two different zombie roles. Odd choice to play that role. Odd choice for him to, like, cast himself as that. Yeah, i not sure necessarily, but it was just one of those, like, eh, fuck it, we need somebody to do this role. Yeah. And then Romero and his wife, Christine Forrest, they both have cameos in the TV control room where you see all the people throwing fucking right. fits and yelling and screaming. Right. And uh, Forrest was also the assistant director on this movie. This was her first time as an assistant director, yeah. so 
it really was everybody that you see in this movie is either like part of the crew, part of the local community, somebody doing triple fucking duty on their normal roles. And that's kind of exactly how the original movie was. I mean, all the people who were producers on the original movie that put all their money together, they are playing basically every member of the cast for the most part. It definitely feels like a family thing. Like uh, Kelly on Night of the Living Dead mentioned like this is a family and that's very much it still felt like a family thing. So like to wrap it all up, we usually kind of go through the cast. I guess we could just really focus on the four. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about. So Romero typically either gets people who are non-actors or people who are like stage actors. So Ken Foray plays Peter is kind of the main person because obviously he went on to be in a lot of horror stuff, but he started in theater. He did a lot of TV. He did the Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars, which is a baseball movie. He did fucking Romero's Night Riders, which that is a weird goddamn movie about wow. people who are Renfair cosplayers that like ride motorcycles. Wow. So it's literally Ed Harris as this oh, guy who's shit. like, no, I take my art seriously. And him and Tom Savini butting heads. Nice. He was in From Beyond, which was Stuart Gordon's movie after Reanimator. He was in Death Spa, which is a fucking ridiculous, insane bullshit movie that we did a commentary track for. Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, okay. The Dentist. He is in the Dawn of the Dead remake, rather. He is the, like, television preacher that's on and then mostly the last several years he's been in all the rob zombie shit so like he Mm. was in devil's rejects Mm. he was in the halloween remake he's in lords of salem so he's been in all that shit lately david mg that played steven again theater actor he was in a movie called the devil and sam silverstein which i only mentioned because that was produced and written by Striner, Russo, and Ricci, who were three of the original producers and writers for the original movie. Mm. So, like, David M.G. didn't just get pulled out of a hat. He was kind of already tied in with this whole group that Romero's been working with. Right. He was great. Same thing. The Liberation of Cherry Janowski. That was another Ricci and Russo movie. But then after this, he was in Basket Case 2 and Hellmaster. Galen Ross that plays Francine. After this, she was really only in Madman and then Creep Show. She's in the the short with Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson. She has gone on to mostly direct, so she has done a shit ton of documentaries, including Killing Katzner and Shimei. So she's been mostly in that boat since then. And then finally, Scott Reniger, who played Roger, he was a classmate of Romero's wife. He did theater. He was also in Night Riders. He was also in the Dawn of the Dead remake. So yeah, like all these people kind of had that theater background for the most part. That makes sense. Other than Ken yeah. Foray, not a whole lot of them went on to a whole, whole lot necessarily. I would be reminisced to mention Foray Fest, by the way, for Ken Foray. <sighs> oh, really? Yeah. I, I went down a little bit of a side path when looking him up. There was a thing known as Foray Fest. The first event was held in the United Kingdom back in 2007, and then it <laughs> happened again in October 2009, and then there was another event that happened in 2013. Wow. And it literally is a, a festival devoted to him by like <laughs> hardcore fans. That's awesome. fucking wild. Yeah, 
but I mean, like, it makes sense with all the shit that he's been in. I have to imagine that getting him purposely casted in some of the roles, like when he was Big Joe in Halloween, like the trucker guy that gets fucking oh, murdered yeah. by Michael that Myers. Yeah, I bet that was oh, like God. a tip of the hat by Rob Zombie yeah. to like his career in horror and everything. Oh, totally. Like, totally. Messed with the wrong motherfucker. So yeah, yeah, last dumb little tidbit, the radio station's call sign in the script was WJAS. That was already taken. Instead, they used WGON, which is now being used by a fucking low power radio station in Slidell, Louisiana, oh, wow. which is fucking 15 minutes away from where Derek grew up and about an hour away from where I grew up. Yeah. So yep. weird fucking coincidence there. I'm very familiar Slidell. with Slidell. Yeah. Yeah. I got some family in Slidell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our best guest, Meryl, who was on our three parter for Twin Peaks. Uh, she is from the Slidell area. So we yep. had a rule to not date girls from Slidell. That was a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> some of my friends had girlfriends and from Slidell uh, growing up. And notice the word you said was had. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> so, last thing to bring up before we call it quits. Let's go around real quick. What would be the first fucking store in the mall that you would hit? Man, if there's a gun store, fucking gun store for sure. Yeah. But that's just not an every normal mall. <laughs> The liquor store. <laughs> liquor store is a good answer. Yeah, yeah. I got. Yeah. I got to go with Cocaine Mart. <laughs> <laughs> Serious answer. I'd probably try and like do gun store or food, water, whatever. But if I'm being like what I would want to do, video game store, yeah, even though it would probably be fucking useless. Of course. I want to do the sharper image just for the massage chairs. We'll do a fucking podcast from the from the mall, from the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a guest that's a zombie. Just hold the mic up to them. Like, yeah. If they're these zombies from this yeah. movie, like we can fucking so do it because these are like <laughs> easy mode baby shit zombies. But, but yeah, go ahead. Drake. Dead boys, so. There's always that one store that's got all those cool like sword replicas and stuff. Got hit that store. So that's what I was about yeah. to say. So I have never been to a mall that had a gun store in it. Next best fucking thing, if you gotta like arm yourself for the zombies, go find that one fucking booth that's always yeah. in the middle of the walkway of the mall that just has every piece of fucking mall ninja <laughs> accoutrement. Yeah, I want ninjas. the fucking like rainbow <laughs> colored samurai sword that's that mother of pearl kind of finish. I want the fucking Lord of the Rings Aragorn sword. I want the fucking blade sword. Give me fucking blades weird katana <laughs> and let me just keep all that shit with me and just use all that to cut up zombies. I would have five minutes with one of those before it cut off my own foot and then I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much exactly how that always happens. You just end up fucking twirling that shit around and the next thing you know you took a chunk out of your own arm. That's why like if I lived in the Star Wars universe, I don't know if I, even if I was force sensitive, I don't know if I no. could handle all the lightsaber no, without no, beheading no. myself. Yeah, you'd fuck around with the lightsaber for five minutes and lose a finger. Absolutely. But yeah, the like mall ninja kiosk is exactly what I would fucking go for <laughs> and just strap down with fucking size and some throwing darts. But and just you gotta get blade sharpening tools because like ah, half that yeah. shit is dull and just replicas. I like, mean, they have all that there, right? That's That'll, true. Yeah, you gotta sharper image. <laughs> 
Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get the sharper image. Yeah, speaking of showing our age, is sharper image still around? Like is that a, yeah, I said it. That's still totally But a thing. I'm definitely I changed my answer. It's uh, I'm I'm headed straight for Spencer's and Hot yeah, Topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotta get the like edible underwear and yeah. all of the uh yeah. fucking family guy t shirts. Neon posters. Dude, you could get spike shit from like yeah. Hot Topic, like just get like the bracelets true. with spikes on yeah. them. Yeah. I mean yeah. I think that's part of the reason why I guess uh Cider remake still works because that came out what 2004 malls were still relatively like a popular place yeah. yeah i mean i remember as a kid i don't know about you guys but as a kid growing up middle school you would go to the mall on the weekends on like a friday night or saturday night i was a mall rat hang out. i was good yeah right yeah, yeah. you yeah. just chill you go watch some movies you socialize with your friends get some food play some video games but that was what you would do when there wasn't a sports game or some school bullshit or whatever you know we would go to the mall as a kid with no cell phone by the way yeah yes just yep. drop me off yeah. pick me up at a certain yeah. time pick me up at, yeah my dad worked across the street from the mall near our place is a 10 11 yeah. 12 walk from his office when i would visit him during the day sometimes on like summer days walk by myself across this giant fucking parking lot into the mall and just wander the mall by myself for yeah. hours yeah drake there used to be a time when there was no cell phones yeah i i, <laughs> I, I barely remembered drake is 18 and a half years old by the way <laughs> oh. <laughs> i'm not quite that young but yeah, no, I don't really remember a time before cell phones. Hanging out with a bunch of 30-plus-year-olds. <laughs> Drake is our baby on film history. He's always like, oh, man, we should talk about this classic movie, you know, like Titanic. <laughs> oh, the oldest movie ever made. It's like, oh, man, we have a story to tell you. There used to be two VHSs for Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, so oh, you, man. you'd, yeah. like, missed out on the Blockbuster, like, No, no, that, that was still, that was still around. Oh, you, no. you, yeah. still, you still got Blockbuster experience? Good, that, that's that's yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, he's he's like twenty eight. I, yeah, you yeah. <laughs> missed up on dial up though. Yeah, hey. yeah, I missed, yeah. I missed dial up. You miss, you miss out the wild west yeah. of the the true wild west of the yeah. internet. Not this bullshit we have now, but true, <laughs> true wild west unchecked internet where you could wander on some weird shit, but like and not know where you are. I remember the early YouTube days. Early YouTube days was a weird place. Like there was some there was some really weird yeah, experimental was. videos on early YouTube. I mean, I I feel like I witnessed the birth of the modern internet. You dial up the chat with those Slidell girls. <laughs> it was on like swamp.com. <laughs> I do. I am not going to Google that right now or, or put that in my. I don't, I don't want to know what swamp.com swamp is. I'm so intrigued. If, oh my God. If you're out there listening, go ahead and comment a message on this episode about what you found at swamp.com. <laughs> and no matter what you find, five stars us, please. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, do we have any final thoughts? 1978's classic Dawn of the Dead, for better and for worse. I'll give it another shot at some point in the relative future. Yeah. I'll, I'll give there it one go. more try. I just can't guarantee one. That's the best we can okay. ask for. That's <laughs> the best we can ask for, yeah. I definitely think you should go back and at least watch Night. I think that would mm. probably be more of your speed. Uh, yeah, Drake, I think you would legit okay. like Night, and Night is an easy watch because it's only like 90 minutes there long. Go. It's very good. Cool. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I think I got all my thoughts out about it, but I love your show. This is very cool. Thanks. It was we appreciate awesome being it. on here. Indeed. Thank you. We we are new fans of y'all show too. And yeah. I am not nearly as versed in film in general as Aaron is. Like he fucking made fun of me. We were talking about Peeping Tom, which was the movie next to Psycho that invented slasher genre. And I was talking about how uh, 
Scorsese talks about how the two films he thinks completely capture the experience of filmmaking are Peeping Tom. And then I was like, and some like foreign Spanish movie. And Aaron was like, um, you mean the classic revered uh, greatest film of all time? And I'm like, yeah, it was not a <laughs> Spanish movie. It was fucking Fellini's Eight and a Half. Oh, shit. Gotcha. And I, I was yeah. like, whatever, nerd. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that movie is. Never heard <laughs> of that. It's just Fellini. No big deal. Yeah. Drake, yeah. I think we found the older you. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I don't know what a Fellini is. That sounds like pasta. <laughs> I'm hungry now. Yeah, you're pretty close. I don't know why I went to Spanish. I just assumed it was Spanish or something like that. I didn't even remember the name or the of the movie or the director. So. I'll take my Fellini of Alfredo sauce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna Musso and Frank's and order you a Fellini, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think especially Aaron can like appreciate y'all show from that standpoint. Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot. I've been listening for a while now nice and through our podcast i'm slowly like kind of branching out from just horror history into other films so it's a very good show for me to dive into too and just listen to some of the crazy uh histories of some of the best actors and things and tropes and yeah. aspects of hollywood yeah we're gonna be doing our brando series up here soon hell yeah brando will be yeah. interesting yeah what a asshole <laughs> <laughs> that guy You're that guy was right. interesting yeah <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like where can we find you guys? I mean, obviously the podcast Film History, The History of Film. Which is a great title, by the way. Yeah. We just wanted to make it difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and no one else had it. No one. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, obviously that podcast. What else do you guys have that you want to plug? Where can we find y'all specifically? So you can find me on Instagram at Drake Cummings, on Twitter at Drake underscore Cummings, on TikTok. I'm most active on TikTok at Hollywood Drake. Uh, I also also have a clothing line raging 20s merch.com if you want to check that out yeah drake's famous on tiktok awesome yeah. you can check out all my stuff at abracadabra-films.com you find me on twitter on abracadabra dev and uh, instagram at sailor underscore dev i got a bunch of films a tv show the feature i was telling you about and a documentary about red tide called blood in the water all um integrating film three and web three cool shit we're doing and i can't be more excited about it so come say hi hell yeah oh yeah awesome and uh you can find us at film history the history of film or fhhf podcast depending on where you're looking you can find me at jimmy deloy or james wyatt scott and you can also find me celebrating a dead boy summer at the mall (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. hell yeah (laughs) and with that we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by me, the cowardly co-host, Derek, and movie monster boy, Aaron, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. You can find us pretty much on any podcatcher at this point, Apple, Stitcher, Google, etc. Please yep. continue to rate and review us, especially on Apple, Podchaser, and Good Pods. That's where we've been actually charting, which is fucking awesome. incredible. Thanks again for all the support. You can catch us at our socials on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. We have a Spotify music playlist uh, with spooky tunes, tunes that are either directly from movie soundtracks, horror movies, or just tunes that are like influenced by horror in general. And I am usually adding some stuff to it from time to time. I think the most recent stuff I put on there was some acid bath. So check that out if you want some spooky tunes. Speaking of music, shout out to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield. Jesse is, of course, doing 
all kinds of crazy shit music wise. You can get his stuff at Party Gator at Bandcamp. He's at Opossums, Big Clown, Something with a Starship, I think is in the name. He's in yeah. like four <laughs> bands right now. That motherfucker is always putting out music <laughs> and it's actually really good music too. So please go check him out. And uh, I think that's all I got. What have you got, Aaron? Just want to say, when there's no more room in hell, the Sallies will walk the earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about that tagline. <laughs> Rules, by the way. Fuck yeah. <laughs>